Hello, everyone, and welcome to this month's episode of Fraud Talk. I am Mandy Moody, uh, the Communications Manager here at the Association of Certified Fraud Examiners. And I am joined today via Zoom, even though we are actually both in the office, <laughs> uh, by Mason Wilder. Hello, Mason. Hello there. My name is Mason Wilder. I'm a senior research specialist for the Association of Certified Fraud Examiners, also here in Austin, Texas with Mandy. And we're going to dig into Operation Trojan Shield, also called the sting of the century. Do you think that's fair, Mason? It's it's catchy, and it was quite the quite the law enforcement operation. It's pretty much a, a dream operation for a law enforcement agent. Yeah, that's true. And there's some fraud connections here um, that we'll get to, but let's just start at the beginning. So, beginning of June, right? News breaks about. 800 people being arrested in this huge law enforcement operation. And this is global, right? This was a joint effort, I think started in 2019 by the Australian Federal Police and the FBI, am I correct? Yeah, it was definitely a collaborative effort. The two main law enforcement agencies were the FBI and the Australian Federal Police. So, News broke, I've got it here, June 8th. So what exactly happened? What did they announce to the world that it happened? So when it went big, that was the result of a worldwide two-day takedown of all these people that had been using these encrypted communication devices. Uh, and it was 500 arrests across about 15 countries that took place over two days. Uh, there had been arrests previously associated with this investigation um, as, as they were carrying out the investigation. The event that really kicked it all off was the FBI busting a different encrypted communications network. As they were carrying out enforcement efforts there, they came across a confidential human source who had been selling these devices and he told them he was involved with working on a next generation device and basically offered his services as an informant to uh, work with the FBI to develop these devices. And he would sell them to criminal organizations worldwide using his um, already established contact list. So hold on, I'm going to stop you right there. Explain just for everybody listening what an encrypted device is. So there's a great deal of demand within criminal organizations and just, you know, worldwide uh, organized crime for devices that are safe to use without fearing that uh, law enforcement is going to be eavesdropping and spying on you. There have been several companies that have either modified existing smartphones or developed their own hardware that run encrypted communications networks that are that work like either email or chat uh, and messaging platforms. The device is encrypted, the traffic is encrypted, they're only sold on the kind of black market through word of mouth and criminals get to, you know, not use any kind of euphemisms and, and speak frankly about exactly what they're doing and how they're doing it and where they're doing it and when they're doing it, uh, supposedly without fear of 
law enforcement spying on that. They can safely conduct criminal activity. Yeah, theoretically. And I mean, that's the that's the cell for the organized criminals. But um, this was not the case with this one. Uh, the FBI basically created their own platform uh, and got this guy to help distribute the devices. And then every single message or email that was sent, uh, basically like you were going to BCC uh, someone on an email, it created a copy of every single message and sent it to a server in a different country. And then the Australian federal police would go through all those messages, send the highlights to the FBI and other international law enforcement uh, agencies a couple times a week. And, you know, a couple of years later, there's been 800 arrests. They, uh, they sold almost 12,000 of the devices to people linked to more than 300 organizations in more than 100 countries. And they've got, you know, 27 million messages or so that they intercepted to analyze and uh, learn, learn more about the inner workings of all these criminal organizations. So I'll give a few stats here. Like you just said, more than 800 arrests and the seizure of over eight tons of cocaine, 22 tons of cannabis, two tons of synthetic drugs, six tons of other synthetic drug precursors, 250 firearms, 55 luxury vehicles, and over 48 million in worldwide currencies and cryptocurrencies, 16 countries, and more than 700 house searches. So that was a lot. Yeah, and I mean, it's clear not only from the reporting, but actually the FBI revealing it as well. This was primarily targeting drug trafficking. It was a, an operation um, from the Organized Crime Drug Enforcement Ta Task Force, and uh, they were keying in on international drug distribution networks. As far as the encrypted communication that they did use and the data that they had, any insight into how they even went about combing through all that data? There's some software that you can use for like link analysis and stuff uh, that has some artificial intelligence or machine learning capabilities. And so I'm sure there was some of that. And honestly, I, I bet there were a lot of Australian police officers just sitting around getting a big kick out of reading all these messages and hey, hey, come check out what this guy said. And, you know, it says a lot about countries working together and law enforcement agencies coming together. The one article that I was looking at, actually, it was Europol's announcement. I mean, it had obviously the U.S. FBI, the Swedish police, the Netherlands, Australia, Europol, you know, something that we hear a lot from you know, fraud investigators is getting that cooperation across the border. And I imagine if they would have done this on their own, it, you know, it would have only impacted one or a couple of countries, but working together, they were able to bring down a much larger pool. I imagine it's pretty easy to get the cooperation of other countries' law enforcement when you hand them a warrant on, on a silver platter, you know, like, hey, 
I've got these messages specifying exactly what this guy purchased from another one for how much money on what date. And here you go. You know, what do you think, you know, fraud examiners can learn from an operation like this as far as, I mean, a true undercover (laughs) making the technology that you'll bring somebody down with. It's tough for me to imagine a a kind of scenario in which fraud examiners would be able to um, provide some kind of technological tool that they could then use to surreptitiously uh, find out everything that another fraudster was doing. But um, hopefully there will, there will be some impact to uh, kind of facilitators of fraud, like, the money launderers, you know, one thing that I'm sure the law enforcement agencies are going to be sharing are some people that were specified in the communications or referred to, you know, like criminals saying, Hey, this guy can help you clean your money. And, you know, here's his contact info, reach out to him or, you know, discussing different uh, methods of money laundering or jurisdictions where it's easier to launder money uh, all, all that kind of information that they've gotten will be tremendously useful to them, I think, in going forward and identifying money launderers and um, having more tactics and techniques in their, in their kind of book that they can reference whenever they see similarities in, in their investigations going forward. One of the recent arrests that just came out of it was uh, someone in New Zealand charged with conspiracy to launder money because of what came out of this, which I imagine money laundering goes hand in hand with, you know, a lot of the money people were making. Oh, yeah, that's know. why I think I'm sure there were a ton of either tips or referrals uh, amongst criminals on this network of like, here's what you do with your money or talk to this guy. He'll he'll help you out. Uh, but you know, it's, it'll be interesting. Uh, not that we'll necessarily see how they handle all that information or that they'll reveal it. But uh, I wouldn't be surprised if some of those facilitators, some of those, um, you know, like the Panama Papers kind of lawyers, uh, people that just have a whole business model on helping others move money internationally and a- avoid taxes or, um you know, potentially launder money. Uh, wouldn't be surprised if they get targeted to reveal who all their clients are. Yeah. You know, for more drug dealers, I think the law enforcement is probably a little more interested in the organized criminals than the money launderers. And so we might not see like a cascade of money launderers getting arrested. Uh, but that doesn't mean that law enforcement in those countries won't be reaching out to them to get a hold of their black books. Do you think this is a deterrent for criminals in the future to think twice that someone might be listening in? Or do you think? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, And this is, there was a similar operation, um, a very similar operation that was announced last summer. I think I wrote something about it in the fraud examiner, but uh, it was targeting a a platform called EncroChat, and it was all European. It was mainly like France and Dutch authorities that spearheaded that one. And it was 
very similar, several hundred arrests. And it was, uh, you know, proprietary technology. Um, the app was called EncroChat. And I think the devices were just called EncroChat devices. But um, yeah, between that one, I think there was one other platform that got uh, dismantled. I don't think it had been infiltrated to the extent that these two had. But um, so... Yeah, there's a, a big demand for these devices, but uh, surely after these three operations in, you know, just over a year, uh, organized criminals are going to think twice about whether or not any device is truly safe or they can really communicate freely on any of these things. So what do you think, any predictions for how they would communicate? Uh, just back to using the more common devices or, or regular uh, off the off the shelf phones, but just using more code language and um, trying to I don't know talk about specifics only in person. But um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, it's you just you can't really hide. I guess would be the big takeaway from um, these guys. And certainly if I was a member of an organized criminal or a criminal organization, um, I am definitely not believing anybody that tries to sell me a black market uh, encrypted phone. <laughs> so, you know, when I read stuff like this and even the EncroChat article that you wrote a while back and you know what's your go-to for learning more about the technology that is already here and even the what's I mean it changes every day right so how do you stay on top of it and how do you know what's what even to look for that's a, a that's a good question. I don't think there's a, a super straightforward, perfect answer. Um, I, and I mean, not really to like toot our own horns here, pat ourselves on the back, but uh, just you know, the other week when we had our conference going on, I remember looking at all the different sessions to figure out what to, what to go back and and watch after the or listen to after the conference was over and we had a lot of really good speakers talking about different things from artificial intelligence to um cryptocurrency tracing and um you know different uh cutting edge prevention stuff and so you know you find somebody that knows what they're talking about at an event like that a conference and maybe go see if they have a Twitter feed and follow that. Um, see if they write articles for a particular publication or uh, just do some searching on those different technologies. And anytime you find like a, a publication that um, you got a lot of value out of a story they ran or something, maybe follow them or go check them out more regularly, subscribe to newsletters or, or things like that so that you are regularly getting new information that's about different technologies and their implications or ways to leverage those technologies and just 
you know, um, when you're having your cup of coffee in the morning, just kind of go through your, your inbox for newsletters or news alerts and, and, uh, just make sure you're exercising your, your brain muscle and staying up to date on stuff. Yeah, I still, so when I started working here 11 years ago, I, you know, set up a Google alert for fraud and I still do it to this day. And so I really do comb through every alert about fraud because I needed to, you know, I needed to learn and understand it. Um, And I think that's something a lot of people have done too is with different technologies or artificial intelligence or, you know, those different buzzwords that you can get the latest news on. Um, And I know you have a very um, meticulous way that you kind of organize the stories that you see. (laughs) Yeah, I do all kinds of dumb stuff. Uh, A lot (laughs) of it is redundant and, you know, not all, I, I just try a bunch of different things. I've got like 10 million bookmarks in my browser. I've got a, a free database through Zotero where I plug in a bunch of articles and tag them with just whatever kind of stuff I can think of as I'm reading through it uh, so that I can go back and reference that stuff. I've got those news alerts. I use RSS feeds. Um, I have like an RSS feed reader. Uh, so all of that stuff. And, um, there's probably other things I, I could be doing as well, but, uh, that gives me more stuff than I have time to read really. And, um, so, you know, uh, but I do, there are certain, anytime somebody like, I, I really get the sense that they definitely know what they are talking about and explain things well. Um, I, I certainly, uh, make a point to follow them on whatever, you know, mostly Twitter or, um, if they have their own kind of newsletter or things like that, I look for experts that really do a good job of explaining things. Yeah. One of our, uh, she was one of our keynotes, you know, a couple of weeks ago, but Amber Mack has a weekly newsletter that kind of breaks it down about latest technology and what's going on. And it's super easy to read and I can just read the headlines, but a lot of it is about AI, about data, but in a way that um, is actually fun to read and, and kind of gives the latest, the latest and greatest for that week. And, and to put this into kind of like a, more of an investigative context or an actual, um, you know, practical context if you're working on some kind of a case that involves some kind of technology that you're not super familiar with it really helps if you have someone that you trust that you can reach out to and just tell them like you don't have to tell them about the details of the case so you can preserve confidentiality or other legal privileges but just ask them for a recommendation or a referral for an expert in that field. So if you've got somebody that knows tech and has a good Rolodex, it's always good to have their number handy so that you can call them and get a a recommendation because there are so many technical tools available. And at this point, even the new ones, 
Um, there's a lot of people out there working on solutions for better analysis or tracing of involving all these different technologies. And you don't want to miss out on doing or on leveraging those kind of um, opportunities just because you don't have time to fully understand that technology. Uh, you know, if there are distinct points, I guess, uh, in any kind of investigation involving a technology where it becomes imperative to involve an outside expert, somebody that really knows what they're doing rather than you trying to figure out, figure it out in the course of an investigation. Just, you know, like if you, if you notice the suspect is, uh, converting fiat currency into cryptocurrency and you know they've got cryptocurrency, but you don't really know how to begin to trace it. Like that's when maybe call somebody that specializes in tracing that cryptocurrency so that you can really, you know, have a good chance of getting to the bottom of that instead of trying to do it yourself. Or digital forensics is another one. Like if you're trying, if you think somebody's using their work phone for nefarious purposes, uh, don't try and like get all the data off of that phone yourself. You know, get just find somebody that really knows what they're doing and, and pay them the money to get their expertise involved. You know. Yeah. Well, and you know, this kind of ties in nicely to the Operation Trojan Shield is, you know, don't be afraid to think outside the box. I mean, what the FBI did and the Australian police, they didn't, you know, they didn't just learn technology or learn encrypted communications and try and piggyback on something. They actually created their own, you know, and I'm sure that was out of a lot of people's comfort zones and to even, you know, begin that conversation of let's just make our own. And I'm sure, you know, the EncroChat helped, you know, as more people are doing it, you know, we can just create our own instead of trying to go and figure out a different technology, but really, you know, not being afraid to innovate and, you know, and go at it a different way. And that's, I mean, I just thought that was really impressive because you always think, you know, we go to so many different conferences and attend so many different sessions that tell us we're, you know, so far behind the criminals, right? Like we're trying to keep up, we're trying to keep up. Um, and we got to keep up with the fraudsters, but you know, what they did was completely, <laughs> they didn't just keep up. They kind of did their own innovation and went around and then, you know, at the end of the day, uh, they outsmarted the people who we always think are outsmarting, you know, the victims and us. Yeah, they, they caught up and, and got one step ahead, I think. Yeah, which is such a happy ending for us, right? Because usually we're talking about the fraud that did happen and how we missed it and what did we miss? But this is a proactive story. Yeah, this was a, a big win and um, will continue to produce victories going forward, I think, for the law enforcement agencies involved because they've got this 
treasure trove of um, of data and information about methods, uh, individuals, um, and you know, uh, they're going to be able to apply. I mean, they're probably going to end up arresting a lot more people that they just haven't gotten to yet, but there also will be, um, you know, frameworks that they can apply to future cases. Uh, I mean, it's like I said at the very beginning, it's like the dream law enforcement operation because they got a bunch of just unfiltered content from criminals all around the world. And um, they they know everything that they were saying to each other. And so there'll be just a ton of value for them to um, reap the rewards of for, for a while, I would assume. Yeah. Well, thank you for sitting down and talking about it. We wanted to talk about this. I know there's a very small fraud tie in and it's a lot of, you know, drug trafficking and drug sales, but I think you're right. We'll continue to see money laundering come out of this, just like with the Panama and Paradise Papers. There's, they've got a lot to go through. Yeah, I think it's gonna it's gonna be really valuable. And um, you know, we're still they just they just recently made the big takedown and announcement. I'm sure that there there's lots more to come in terms of uh, information sharing amongst agencies and. Um, you know, I, the money laundering thing will be the big uh, link to fraud. And uh, I'm sure that, you know, FinCEN uh, and um, some of the other international or national intelligence units uh, or financial intelligence units will get some really good information out of this about like very specific money laundering patterns that they can look for. And uh, hopefully they arrest more money launderers and those kind of facilitators of fraud so that it makes it harder for people to, um, you know, do the large scale tax evasion and, and money laundering and just those kind of financial moving finances around uh, illicitly all over the world, you know, hopefully things get harder for them, just like it is now going to be a lot harder for international crime organizations to talk to each other securely. Well, awesome. Thank you, Mason. Yep. Any, any time. And thank you all for listening today. Uh, you can find all of our episodes, wherever you listen to your podcasts, you can search for fraud talk and hit subscribe You can also find our collection at acfe.com slash podcast. And that wraps up this month and we will talk to you again next month.